Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What is up? It's your boy, Elliot Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Joining me this week from the Windy City. It's Josh Modell. What's up, Elia? Hey, hey, man. Executive editor on the line. Thanks for joining to help set up today's show. It is always truly my pleasure. This week's episode features Shamir and Liza Ann in a conversation that originally happened as a Talk House Podcast live on Insta. This was a great talk with some amazing artists who showed up. Orville Peck was there. Vagabond was there. People were throwing hearts, throwing comments. I loved it. It's nice when the peanut gallery is full of other artists, right? Yeah, I love it. I love seeing who shows up for these. It's great. Well, regular TalkHouse listeners will definitely know Shamir Bailey, who goes by Shamir. He is one of TalkHouse's most prolific contributors. And if you don't know who Shamir is, just go check out his perfect Bandcamp bio, which says exactly this, quote, Shamir is Shamir and remains Shamir through and through, no matter what the universe puts him through. And the universe has put him through quite a bit. We did a very powerful episode with Shamir some years back, the series Voice Memos. That's where he shared about mental health struggles and creativity. And he's also been a guest on the show with artists like Porches. And he's written two columns for the site, both Ratchet TV and Shamiroscopes. Yeah, if you're a TalkHouse regular, you probably already know Shamir. I've been following his career for many years. We're friends, we're collaborators. Shamir makes music that ranges from super DIY indie rock to polished pop. He's put out country songs. And he is one of those artists that I say, you follow their career like you follow Lou Reed's career. You don't expect them to make a linear move ever. Whatever you think they're going to do, they're going to sidestep it and do something cooler than you could have imagined. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. This generation of musicians, you have no idea what to expect. Post-genre, baby. We are in a post-genre world. It's fantastic. Well, for this most recent pair of singles from Shamir's upcoming self-titled LP, which is due in the fall, he's gone with a mix of indie rock and some pop. I want to play you the song that I am currently obsessed with on my own. That track's been getting a lot of love across the interwebs, Josh. It's obvious why it is. It's also been getting a lot of love from singer-songwriter Liza Ann. Yeah, she's kind of another artist who's really feels post-genre, right? Like she started out kind of folky. Uh, she's from a little place called St. Simons Island, Georgia. Made her way to Nashville when she was just 18. Uh, and since then, she's kind of dabbled in a bunch of uh, different I don't want to say genres again, but a bunch of different sounds. Her latest is kind of Talking Heads-esque post-punk mixed with kind of bedroom pop. It's really tough to pin down, which is why it's so great. And it's also been cool to see the way that what she sings about has changed over the years. Her upcoming LP, Bad Decisions, which is out at the end of this month, is a very detailed account of her struggles with mental illness. And alongside the making of this record, Liza also recently launched Emotional Health Hashtag emotional health 2020 rallies 
on Instagram Live, where each week she brings on artists like Caroline Rose, Half Wave, Courtney Marie Andrews, even Shamir's made an appearance for candid talks about mental health. Very cool stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. And, it, and again, it's this generation talking about that stuff so openly, which you'll hear in this conversation. Before we get into it, let's hear a little bit of Liza Ann's I Want to Be There, a great song from her new record. I felt the lights inside you just go That is simply beautiful stuff. I'm so here for that track. Good vibes. There's also good vibes throughout this conversation, man. Shamir and Liza Ann chop it up on a lot. They take quite a deep dive into religion and spirituality, both during their youth, how it affected their music, and their current takes on it. Within that, Liza also brings up one of Shamir's recent tweets about wanting to play, quote, the evil queer person in a corny, low-budget Christian movie. <laughs> he would be incredible. They also talk about finding your literal or metaphorical New York, which, uh, spoiler alert, is not New York for either of them. We also hear what folk star Shamir was in a past life. That is my hands-down favorite part of this conversation, and I don't want to spoil <laughs> it for anybody. You won't guess. A quick note... The Lou that Shamir and Liza Ann discuss today is Louise Hayat Kamard from Philly via Paris band The Dove and the Wolf, who Shamir's worked with. Should we do it? Yeah, man, let's hear it. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Okay, you know how I feel is that literally being an artist in 2020 is just having public FaceTimes with your friends. Yeah. This is now our second public, <laughs> public conversation. One wasn't enough. The world needed more. Simply wasn't. You know, we haven't got nearly enough IRL time anyway. Yes, I know. So, which is a it's a problem. I feel like when I met you, though, it really did feel, and I feel like this really rarely happens. Another person this happened with is Lou, who we both know and love. But I feel like when I met you, I was like, this is not the first time. Like, I felt very much like there was some sort of, like, either we both had lived through similar emotions or past life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is with everyone I love, basically. Like, you know, especially as a Scorpio, I was just thinking this not too long ago. I was just like, Drake was really so Scorpio when he was like, no new friends. And I think as a Scorpio, I was like, I think as a Scorpio, I hold that even deeper by saying like literally no new friends. I feel like all of my friends that I have, I've known in different lives because it always felt like it always felt like a reunion whenever we met and like not getting used to each other. It was just like, I know you, you know me, we here together. It's actually crazy when that happens. Has that ever happened to you like in a place? Like, have you gotten to a place and been like, oh, I've absolutely been here before but you there's no way you could have I have intense deja vu I've always had my whole life but it's gotten more intense the older I get like within the last like two years I've always wondered what that is because I like specifically went to a psychic one time about this because I was like okay every time I'm in Paris A, the first time I was there, I literally never got lost. And it was just like really bizarre. Like I just kind of like knew intuitively where things were. And I like went to a past life psychic to be like, 
hope that she would tell me like, oh, by the way, in the past you were like this hot French woman smoking cigarettes. (laughs) But she was like, in the past... You were an old man who lived in Thailand. And I was like, that's fine, too. Let's talk about this. I I know. I kind of loved it. And my grandfather actually traveled a lot to Thailand in his, like, early 20s. So I was like, ooh, maybe you're, like, tapping into my grandfather's energy or something. I don't know. Wait, did I tell you about my Jim Croce situation? No, tell me everything. I need to know. Okay, a lot of people actually know this. I feel like my closest friends know this and like people in my family. But ever since I was a child, ever since I was a child, even before my, and it's not like he wasn't someone that my mom listened to. Um, I just kind of see him on the TV or like whatever and just have like this deep visceral connection to him. I still don't even really listen to him like that. Like he has some songs that I like. But ever since I was a child, you can ask my mom, I always said that I was Jim Croce last life. Oh, my gosh. Right? Right? Okay. So, not knowing anything else other than that, I always, my whole life in a weird way, always kind of strayed away from him because he was always just too intense. Like, Mm. I couldn't do it. So, I realistically didn't know much about him. I maybe watched, like, one VH1 documentary or something like that. And I didn't find this out to, like, maybe a whole, like, six months after I moved into the place where I am now. Back in 2017, that his childhood home is like right around the corner from where I live. No. Yes. Are you kidding me? In South Philly. Yeah. Do you like, oh man, that's, that's <laughs> actually bizarre. Like, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. speaking of like places where deja vu is held. And Philly always felt like home. It was just like, as soon as I came here, I was like, I can't live anywhere else. Like, I have to be here forever. That's amazing. I love the idea of deja vu just getting stronger as we get older. But I also feel like when you're a kid, I feel like there are spaces in your life where you're just really attuned to like the other side maybe or something where like when you're oh, yeah. when you're a kid, like before you learn all the stuff that like keeps you from the dying, you know, <laughs> yeah, before you learn all the like fucking fear stuff that just ruins magic it's like before that I feel like you're very attuned to the other side and like the possibility of other lives and everything and then you go through a period of fear and then I think getting older is just like a return to those like childlike ways of thinking and being you know totally but I love the idea of past lives like I think that makes more sense to me than any other spiritual thought I think same, too. I mean, you know, we talked about this. I come from, like, a really spiritual household. So that was always, like, instilled in me. But I think from even just, like, people who never had the upbringing that I did, I I think when, when anyone who's open, and by open, I just mean, like, someone who is content with the fact that they don't know everything. Yes. Which is... A lot of people really think they do or think that there's an answer to everything, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's a bad way of thinking. There's not an answer to everything. And I think you'll find more peace when you realize we just kind of let things be. And you realize that, like, some things just can't be explained. And yeah. that's just that, you know. That's such a good point. I was just going to say, I think the most harmful thing that was ever done to my, like, spiritual expansion, because I grew up in a really religious house as well was the idea that there was an ultimate truth. Because immediately Mm -hmm. I'm like seven years old and I think that I've figured it out. And I think that undoing that 
whole thing took a lot of my like late teenage years, early 20s to just be like, okay, it's actually more comfortable to not know stuff. Like I'm, I'm good. I actually don't want to know everything. And if I think I do, like someone kick me in the ass, please. <laughs> like, I'm just like obsessed with learning now, which is the better place to be. So that's the weird thing about religion is that it is trying to like wrap spirituality up in this like bow. It's so weird. Right? Yeah. This show is brought to you by Patreon who ask, creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per stream payouts and grow your creative career through the direct support of the people who care the most, your fans. Since Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, You'll skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a monthly membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. So if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on patreon.com now. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N.com and change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve. Okay, so speaking of religion, can I talk to you about your tweet? Your tweet. What tweet? The one you tweeted about how you want to play. Oh my God. The- <laughs> Listen, I vividly, do you know when you tweeted that? I like can see the poster in my head. I feel like all of those films are like cheap ass films with like, oh, oh my God. I love them though. I love love a cheesy Christian film. I don't know why, maybe it's because I just, because I think it's just because Christianity in general is just such a otherworldly thing that like even though I am like you know fully American I was not raised around Christianity you know I so I've always had this weird I don't know just like interest in it not even interest but just kind of like curiosity about it and so sometimes I find myself even now just like watching Christian movies like the last one I watched not too long ago <laughs> what was is, it like it was I can only imagine Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's a good song. Look, so also, I like Christian <laughs> music sometimes. Sometimes I like Christian music. Yeah. I love Switchfoot. There's this one Christian, like, old Christian, like, folk lo-fi song that I found that I'm obsessed with right now. The guy who sings it is like, like, I don't know. Like, it's just something about the gospel that resonates with me because. I love that. It's weird because, like, even though I was raised Muslim, I'm still very, like, Black American, and I know that, like, my ancestors were Christian. Yeah. So I feel like that resonates with my spirit in, like, a weird way. Do you know what? I heard something when I was going through a therapy that was specific for the religious trauma that I had that basically, it wasn't, like, it sounds more dramatic than it was. I just grew up in a Christian household that, you know, within any sort of really fundamental, um, or not fundamental, but any sort of evangelical religion, I think that like women's 
rights are not really important. So kind of unlearning just that whole shit was crazy. But someone told me, because like even after I left all of it, I was like, well, how come some of this like still resonates? And someone said that everyone has a spiritual mother tongue. So wherever our ancestors grew up speaking to the other side or the divine or the abyss or your higher power, whatever you want to put it, like that makes sense to me that you're like somewhere in me, there's this like soft space for this language. Also, it's just so funny to me that you love those movies because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like remembering being in high school and like my church, like buying out the whole theater and like making us all go <laughs> watch them. And I'm like, I needed Shamir at that time in my life. Oh, God. Oh, God. I just but also it's also so funny because I'm just like the complete antithesis of that and like. You know, essentially, like, in the eyes... But it's also so funny, because, like, literally in the eyes of a Christian person, I am, like, the devil. <laughs> and, like, not even... And not even aesthetically, just the fact that, like, I was essentially raised by a pagan. <laughs> you know, like... Listen, yeah. you're the most free person I know. This is why, like, <laughs> like, religion is completely dismantled when you actually come in contact with someone who's experiencing themselves in liberation, because you yeah. realize, like all those constructs that are put there for safety or like, I don't like the, it's just so weird. The whole thing is so weird. And then when you actually experience someone alive, you're like, hell yes, this is way better than all those things that I was taught. Like, I don't know. It's amazing. Well, I was, you know, it's really funny because there's this line in this that I live by in this first aid kit song that I'm sure, you know, hard believer. Mm Mm-hmm where she says, don't preach about morality. That's just human sense to me. And I always, that's just the perfect way to like sum it up for me because I went on this road trip last summer, around this time last summer. It's like around this anniversary. So I've been thinking about it a little bit with these like two straight Christian raised white dudes, which was funny. And, you know, you do a cross country trip, you have a lot of time to talk. And um, naturally we got into religion and, you know, kind of just was talking to them about, you know, how I was kind of like raised in like a free range type of spiritual way that I was. And one of the questions that came up, and especially the specific person who said it, is one of the nicest people that I know. It was just like, well, well, how do people know not to, like, do this and that and that and that and that? And I was like, is that not innate for you? Like, yeah. Especially you of all people. Like, you're one of the nicest people I know. Like, you can't tell me that you're going to say that that's all for Christianity or religion, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think once I said that, he was like, oh, like, yeah, I, I guess. Then, like, what is it for? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's just like... It should really be a tool, not a guide. That's what I see religion as, you know? Yeah, and I even, I love that you, like, were able to express that to them because I feel like something similar clicked to me when it was like, okay, if your religion is the only thing keeping you from being an asshole, you're probably an asshole. So, like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. And then when you mix Christianity with that, that's where you get the people that stand outside of fucking uh, Planned Parenthood, you know? (laughs) It's crazy to me. It's, like, such a misstep of, like, the use of a spiritual tool. I feel like... Have you ever read any bell hooks before? That is so funny you say that. This is is the, like, being in tune. I, I... 
literally planning on just like getting deep into bell hooks because I really haven't. And I was like literally Googling and planning what I should start reading. That is so crazy. Well, okay. You should start maybe with, because I'm in the middle of reading this now, literally for the second time in two months because of how much it rocked my world. But their book, All About Love, which I would say, I don't know other ones off the top of my head right now, but this one's like blown my mind. And it basically describes love as this innate desire for oneself and others to expand spiritually. Like that's what it is. So all these other concepts of love that are based on like jealousy and fear and control and, you know, just the ways we kind of grow up, like the the very, I mean, heteronormative, weird, controlling type of you have to have a partner and it has to look like this way. It's like mm-hmm. this book is basically like, no, no, no. Love is hoping someone expands as far as they can. Like love is hoping mm-hmm. someone grows and that you grow too. And anything outside of that isn't love. It is amazing. Love it's blowing my mind. You yeah, you have it. to send me the info on that after this. Like, <gasps> DM it to me. No, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to literally buy you the book. I'm going to send you a oh care God, package. <laughs> Speaking of books, I saw you post though about the four agreements. Oh, yeah. Which is... Literally, that was my Bible. Well, good. Personally. <laughs> that should up. be everyone's. My mom made me, I told you, my mom made me read that when I was really, really, really young. I want to say like sometime in middle school and it changed my life. It's amazing. So wait, how was that for you reading that as a seven-year-old or middle school or whatever? How middle old? school. <laughs> seven, like Where did I get seven? <laughs> how was that reading that as a newborn? <laughs> I, but literally, you know, I was really young, but I understood everything clearly. I you love know, that. It kind of felt like a, a, a moral guideline in a weird way for me at the time. But also at the same time, it, it really wasn't, though. It really comes from a place of like digging within. Yeah. And like kind of like a way of processing things. So things kind of like work out for you, I guess, like in a, the reality or in like the physical way and the outside way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it was it, it, it's a very it was a very simple book for me at the time. I need to reread it. It's been a while, but yeah. yeah, I love that book. I love it too. I read it at the time I was like in the middle of like, you know, those kind of breakups that like basically last like the whole relationship. <laughs> like I was at me. I just mean I mean like when you're dating someone and nearly the whole time it's wrong, but you're just like put, Natalie Prash literally has a song that says our love is like a long goodbye. And I feel like the whole time I was in the specific relationship, I would like listen to that song and be like, damn it, you're right. But anyway, at the very end of all the different ends that we were in, I read that book and was just like, okay, I'm out. Like, I got to take care of myself. I think I just opened some door in me that is about to like expand me. And I truly can't deal with this type of emotional abuse anymore. So I'm going to do it. But it was like a door out. Like it was like, oh shit, there's other ways. Like, yes. I mean, emotional knowledge, um, emotional health (gasps) ooh, (laughs) is so important and something that I even think should be taught in schools, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, Yes. Because it's so important. And then you, you grow up and you see how many grown ass people don't know how to do the simplest, the simplest of emotional work, you know? I wonder what it would look like to teach emotional health and language in schools. Like what that... Without religion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Religion is the reason why I'm depressed. <laughs> 
I'm like, that shit made me anxious. We do not need But here's the thing. It's really hard for people to divide those things because a lot of people's morals are so deeply rooted in religion. So it kind of seems for a lot of people like extra work to not incorporate religion at all. I mean, look at the, the, the freaking Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Problematic. I feel like people don't know how to separate things, especially Christian things, from other things. They just lump it all together. But you know what's so interesting? I'm in a 12-step group, and the 12-step group uses the word higher power to do emotional work rather than God. And I'm like, personally, I don't know if I believe in a God. I don't, I don't know what. But like, even the word God brings back like old like, ooh, I don't want to sure, yeah. know. So anyway, yeah. but what's so interesting is it like the 12-step group I'm in is specific to um, kind of undoing childhood trauma and emotional trauma that kind of keeps you from loving yourself. So it feels like emotional knowledge, emotional health work. And it's not, it doesn't happen without a higher power, so to say, but there's no religion involved. And I almost feel yeah. like I just feel like if kids were learning how to communicate their emotions and listen at a young age, like we we would have like not half the problems that we have. Yeah. Or at least they'd be cut down significantly. Yeah. Um, so last time we talked in this format, you know, I was a guest on your show. So we got deep into my childhood and we touched on your childhood a little bit, but I... I want to know kind of just like how you got into music and kind of like what, what your upbringing was like. Wow. Because I really don't know. Um, okay, how did I get into music? Do you know, honestly, when I was in high school, I was like in my church band. Like that was how Love I that. like started. But before that, when I was like eight years old, I started writing poetry. When I was 14, I started playing guitar. And I don't know. It's just like it's always what I wanted to do. But... It wasn't really, I feel like with each record, I'm like understanding that even more. Like I'm like, oh wait, now I know this is what I want to do. Because each time it's like this expansion of like a little emotional catalog of the life I lived. So obviously each- I saw that. Yeah, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, I love my parents. They were super supportive. I know your parents, you have a really great relationship with them and their relationship to you was always encouraging of your expanding and not- you know, suffocating. And I feel that way with my parents, which was always super great. And I think all of my weird religious trauma stuff just comes from like the school I went to and the church I was going to and just my own like journey of Christianity. I was like, whoa, I think this thing is just teaching me to hate myself, which (laughs) is totally what it did. But then I moved to Nashville and I've just been doing music for... How long have you been in Nashville? Like eight years. Isn't that so long? Are we the same age? I'm 26. Yeah. How old are you? So when so I you was moved, a- like, as soon as you turned 18. Yeah, I moved, like, I think the summer after. I, like, turned 18 in February. But I had moved yeah. out of my parents' house, like, before then to live with my aunt and uncle. And then I moved to Nashville. Was that scary? I loved it. I, I My mom used to say that if I moved out at two, I would have been fine. <laughs> I feel like I'm independent, like, to a fault. I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. I left at 19. And with, with some friends, I couldn't, I, look, it's just like I said, as much as I love my mom, um, she's good in doses. So <laughs> uh, I, I lived with her for a year, basically a few months before I graduated high school. 
and a few months after. And then she yelled at me about literally a dirty spoon. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm moving out. Um, and that was like sometime like around 19 after I like just turned 19. And um, I stayed with some friends for a few months, which was like great. And then um, right around the time when towards the end of 19 and I turned 20 while I was in Brooklyn, I moved to Brooklyn. And um, that was great. I mean, it was obviously a great experience. I was making my record and everything. Yeah. But that's when I discovered Philly and like that was when the first thing that I came to Philly and I was like I love it here like I I need to stay here and I've been Philly now five years since in Chile which is insane to think about so yeah that's amazing do you feel like I feel like people describe the first time they lived in New York or like wherever their New York is um, but a lot of people specifically to New York it's like yeah. they feel like it's the first time they truly, as an adult, sort of had room to meet themselves, like actually as who they are and kind of expand and explore like their sexuality and their identity and their like fashion for the first, like all the external ways of sort of presenting who we are and in our insides before we know how to. It's like whether it's New York or moving to Nashville or moving to London or moving to Philly, it's like where was your first moment where you were like, oh, shit, yeah, I can be myself. Or you feel like you've always been this way. Yeah. I love yeah. this about I, you. I real, I felt that, like, in high school, because in middle school, we wore a uniform. Oh. And once I got to high school, and I had this, like, wear whatever you want, and I had that newfound freedom, it was over. I was just like, I am going to express myself <sighs> to the fullest. So I guess high school is my New York. I don't know. Um, high so school is my York, New York. That's the, <laughs> honestly, you got to make a T-shirt that says that. That's <laughs> but so like, good. When I got to New York, I kind of felt boxed in in a way, especially, you know, in Bushwick in 2014, like, there was, you know, your your typical Brooklyn bro and broette. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they were all around me, you know? And I was just like, this is not the free spirit Brooklyn that I imagined. Not to say that, that wasn't out there, but he wasn't as readily available as I expected. Mm. You know, I still stood out as much as I did in Vegas in Brooklyn. Yeah, I I got less negative stares, sure, but I still stood out, mm -hmm. and I didn't expect to stand out. <laughs> you know, I was like, everyone's gonna be a weirdo like me. But I guess Philly kind of became my New York because everyone's weird. I love that. Everyone's about Philly. weird. Everyone's weird in Philly, and Philly just has like this weird air and nature about it that, like, even if I do stand out. So do the other person and the other person and the other person, but all in different ways, maybe not in the same way as myself, but like no one's trying to be stylish. No one's trying to be fashion. You know, no one's trying to be hip or hipster or cool, you know, yeah. everyone's just out here. I love that. I feel like there is such a air of just freedom there, which is so rad. I also feel like there's I, like so many amazing like queer communities in Philly mm -hmm. that are just like... Mm -hmm. Uh, incredible like the things that I've heard from my friends who have lived there I'm just like I can't even imagine that being in Nashville and I know there's amazing queer community things in Nashville but it just doesn't feel Philly just feels like it is made for people to just come and absolutely be themselves which is I'm obsessed with yeah uh, the queer community that I have in Philly is just like 
I never would imagine it, you know, even in New York, as weird as it sounds, but I didn't have like the same amount of like queer friends as I did now in Philly as I did in New York, which again was also very crazy to me. Yeah. You know, like I discussed like New York just like wasn't for me, essentially. It wasn't it's just, weird like, it's not, enough. Well, it's not to say that all of those things don't exist in New York. It just wasn't in my orbit. Yeah. And, and I think I wasn't as open in New York because I'm so sensitive and very um, empathetic and been around that many people automatically made me shut off more than I normally would. Whoa. Yeah. So that's probably why I didn't find the tribe that I wanted to find. Whereas like I could, I feel comfortable being as open as I want to in Philly. And then my tribe kind of comes to me. Yeah, that's incredible. I feel like being in a place like New York and being an empath, it would just be like every day you'd have to be doing some like major Reiki shit to like <laughs> cleanse your it was kind field. It's overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. It was. I can't imagine that. I really enjoy all the time I spend in larger cities and I definitely see myself definitely moving from Nashville and from the South. <sighs> I'm like, I am like quite, I don't know. I'm just really over it. It's really hot. And there are just a lot of people who believe wildly different things than I do, which I think it's important to like stay present so that I can like be the other side of those conversations. But I also like can't even imagine what it would feel like to be in a place that feels more in line and progressive with the things that I care about. It just does not I don't know. Have you seen any of the stuff that's been happening in Nashville? No. Like There's, recently? Yeah. So like all of the Black Lives Matter protests have been amazing and super peaceful. And all these state troopers just keep um, arresting peaceful protesters. Well, it's kind of been like that everywhere. Though. I know. You know, I think America in general is like really showing us true colors, you know, like as very leftist. Like there's <laughs> Philly might as well be a communist city at this point, but like. As open as it is, there still is police violence with the protests and even going way, way back to like when Trump got elected. You know, mm. I remember walking out of my house and seeing swastikas everywhere. Oh, my God. And that was one that, that was the image that will kind of like forever be etched in my mind because it was just something that I never thought that I would experience here. Yeah. But I think with everything that's happening right now, it's kind of like uprooting all of the ugliness. But yeah. I think kind of like the great thing about that is that like, they have to come out before they're eradicated. That's so. what my mom literally said that this morning, like nearly exactly how you said it. She <laughs> was like, to be honest, she was like, all these racists are coming out from their holes and we're going to get rid of all of them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. mom, come on. I love that. My mom's name. My mom's name is Lester. You'd love her. She is so I cute. But she's honestly, yeah. I do well with moms. Let me tell you. <laughs> Come moms here, come meet my love mom. Me. And I love moms too because I do very momly things. I love to cook, I knit, I crochet, I do it all. <laughs> I love this about you. Uh, <laughs> okay, listen, we need to end real life hang when all this shit is over. I mean, it's no if, ands, or buts. Like, are you kidding me? I, I like want an island getaway with you and Lou. I mean, yeah, you know, speaking of island getaways, like, I, I think <laughs> my drummer, my semi-regular drummer, is Kiwi. I don't know her, I don't think. She used to play um, with the Vivian Girls for a bit. Oh, hell yeah. Who I love, you know. 
But she went back to New Zealand um, before, you know, lockdown. And, you know, they're completely corona-free. And now she's, like, touring well, like, with this other band. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, that must be so hard to watch. No. Yeah. I know. Well, no, I'm, like, I'm glad, like, glad for them. Yeah. Like, woohoo, but, like. <laughs> I know. Honestly, the longer this goes on, and I know you're probably feeling this, too, because, well, you're releasing two records this year. Goddamn queen of my heart. Um, but releasing music right now without touring is just like this big, vast abyss of like, okay, (laughs) here we go. Also, congrats on your EP too. That just came out, right? Like a few weeks ago. Thank you. The whole, the whole record comes out in like two weeks. Oh my God. I'll send it to you. No, please do. And I'll send you mine too. Okay, good. We'll do a tradesies. It's always good to have a little trade. Thank you for talking to me again. Oh, I oh wanted God, to ask you. Um, I asked you this last time, but I'm, I want to know how it's changed. But what's your favorite way of taking care of yourself right now? Because low-key, there is a lot of depressing news nearly every day. And I want to know how people are protecting their energy. And I want to know how specifically you are with all of the stuff going on right now with Black Lives Matter and these insane news clippings, how are you protecting your energy? Honestly, I don't know. You know, I'm sure I answered this way more enthusiastically last time. But that's Um, okay. (laughs) But I I feel a little bit hit these days, you know. Um, I think just putting myself first is all I really kind of been doing. Just putting my health first, and that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. And one big thing that I've been doing... More so at the beginning, a few a few weeks ago. Not so much now, because if I did, that would be very unhealthy. But I was baking a lot of flan. Yeah. Or flan, or however you pronounce it. I, was I don't on. know, but that sounds um, great. It was very good, but also, you know, it's like literally fat and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so could I keep that up for too long but I did that for like the first two weeks when like everything was like kind of like quiet down because it's just like I was so like frustrated and like I wanted to you know march which I've done like so many times in the past but like this time I kind of was just like oh Shamir you can't really do that right now since you don't have like management and you have this single coming out and mm. like you have, you know, another record for your label coming out next month and you don't have any family out here and, like, if something yeah. happens to you, like, then what, you know? So that was, like, really frustrating, just kind of just, like, sitting around while the world felt like it was, like, burning. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that really took kind of, like, an emotional hit. So I kind of just been trying to just protect myself, protect my energy. Yeah. Um, Staying creative, staying busy. Well, I feel like as much as I know, there must have been that inner tension of feeling like I can't be a physical body at this protest. I feel like the way that you've been communicating and sharing and pointing these like little exclusive releases of your singles and stuff towards these um, organizations that you're passionate about, I feel like that is the same thing as having your physical body there right now because you can't put yourself in a situation that you'd feel unsafe or un- not like you would have what you needed if something went terribly wrong. So I think like what you're doing is amazing. 
Truly. Yeah. And like, and I understand that. It's just kind of just like frustrating for me because it's just like, I do that stuff anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like, it doesn't feel, I guess, like exceptional, but also that should not diminish what it can do and the help that it does do. So totally. Yeah. That stuff's cool. Like, you know, I'm I'm announcing the uh, cassette release for (sighs) Cataclysm soon. And, um, all proceeds also go to charity for that as well. So, yeah, you know, just c- continue to do it. And, um, and that's all I can do. And that's what I've been doing. And also that just also being charitable is also great for your mental health as well. Yes, and it is. I, 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 that's that's definitely been helping, too, as well. well. I love that. Dude, I love you. I love you. I'm, like, so annoyed. All of our, like, substantial hangs have been over... <laughs> Instagram. I'm like getting to know you via these tiny interviews, but I love it. I swear, as soon as all of this is over and we're able to get together, we're going to hang so hard. Me, you, and Lou, of course. I can't wait. I literally cannot wait. It'll be glorious. I'm so proud of you and everything you do. I'm like a proud mom. Uh, Well, thanks for talking to me again. Maybe let's do this every month. (laughs) I mean, I'm gonna know. I know, me too. Okay, well, I love you. Love you. See you later. Have a safe evening. Bye. Thank you, Talk House. (laughs) Oh, yeah, thank you, Talk House. I forget. I feel like like we're just having a FaceTime. (laughs) Right? Oh, God. Okay, bye, everybody. Shamir, Liza Ann, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Listeners, if you simply must have more of this conversation, the unedited Instagram live version is up on TalkHouse's IGTV. That's at TalkHouse. And listeners, if you can't get enough from Shamir... Who can? (laughs) He's been on the show a number of times, uh, including a conversation with Porches and a standalone episode about mental health and his creativity voice memos. Well worth hearing. Yep, and definitely go to TalkHouse.com to read his Ratchet TV and Shamiroscopes. There's some brilliant stuff there. Big thanks to Shamir and Liza Ann for recording their side of the conversations. Josh, you and I are both at our hashtag Stay Home Studios, and our producer extraordinaire is Mark Yoshizumi. For today's episode, our researcher was Samantha Small, and the TalkHouse podcast theme song is By The Range. Till next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Hey, Shamir forever. <laughs> <laughs>